Hi, everybody, and welcome to Therefore I Geek. I'm Andrew. I'm a little hungover. And I am up way too early. And I have no idea what episode we're on, because I've been gone for like six damn weeks. It's yeah, 120. You... <laughs> there you go, folks. 120. Professional podcasting <laughs> at its best, ladies and gentlemen. This is what happens when we record on a Saturday before noon. Way before noon. <laughs> well, for you, yeah. For Tracy and I, it, we're at least close, but uh, not, not we're not there. I'm sure you gently woke up this morning, whereas I needed to be jolted from my four-hour slumber to set up for this and then was continually pestered by my starving animals at least starving in their minds how are we well i'm not doing as well as your cat over there <laughs> yeah he's he's doing pretty good uh, i mean i think i think everyone's doing doing pretty well like I said, I'm, I'm back for i think it's been six weeks well, you have a massive beard I i'm do. gonna i'm gonna it's got to be at least six weeks given how long that thing is uh, it's been, uh, I think it's been even longer than that since I've trimmed it. I'm just like mad that it grows so long because I believe my beard has just stopped. <laughs> it just got to a certain length and then gave up. And now I just can't, I've had it for like six, seven months. It's just done. No, like, that, no, the, not, uh, not doing it anymore. The really fun part about this is I can actually feel it like move in the wind now. <laughs> It, it's actually a, kind of a cool feeling. What I'm also more jealous about is that oh, it's all in the front, right? You've got a goatee, so your chin, it basically goes down almost like a full four inches. Whereas because of a childhood injury, the hair on my chin only goes about half an inch. So I have this beard that is long all the way around my chin, and then there's this like small gap of hair. <laughs> right in the center naturally just, occurring uh what is it sideburns lamb chops yeah i, I got a huge land like I, if i pull this thing out i look like jet from cowboy bebop and actually <laughs> stays there but but right in the center it doesn't grow more than like look i pull this out this is almost like two inches grab right here i got like half an inch of purchase because i took a skateboard in the chin as a child and now i can't grow a beard and that and that's something wow this is, what, this, this is just another reason why i didn't skateboard as a kid also i was not coordinated enough to make that work. i was just, i wasn't skateboarding someone flung a skateboard in my chin <laughs> that's what happened i was five or six years old and and back then in the late 80s early 90s playgrounds in new jersey used to use leftover construction equipment for kids to play on so there was these giant four foot diameter concrete pipes that didn't get used so they mm -hmm. got put in the playground so the high schoolers there just loved to experiment with centripetal force and would wing their skateboard inside the pipe to see how many revolutions they could get it to do so this one guy is just we're, we're all watching him like wing his skateboard inside this pipe to try and get a bunch of revolutions so he was like gonna beat his friend's record so he's putting all his force into winging this skateboard and he just, as hard as he can, he whips the skateboard around, and it goes directly into my face. Yikes. Nice. Did your and chin then, split open? Oh, wide open. That just, boom, exploded. Nice. And I needed, like, stitches and everything. And now I can't grow a goddamn beard. Nice. All right, so today, aside from beards, we are going to be discussing Spider-Man Homecoming. Uh, Here the comes the unfortunate passing of Joan Lee, Hollywood's obsession with franchises and how it's screwing them royally. I hope it bites some square in the butt. And some, well, let's face it, some cover controversy with regards yeah, to a Howard Shakin cover and some of the just worst arguing we've ever seen. Oh yeah, this one's good. This one's fun. Yeah, I've also got a couple of other little random things to throw in. Just because everyone here are animal lovers and Lena Dunham is a person that has the occasional i guess you can call it some some I kind think, of entertainment is it entertainment i think you're being generous no. referring to lena yeah. as a person yeah I was about to well say, good oh, okay here, well here, then here. she says that her dog was abused before she got him so apparently really quick she adopted this dog from a, a no-kill shelter had him for four years the adoption records and the surrender records say that she surrendered the dog back in March, but she continued to post pictures of him on her Instagram as late as June. She posted on Instagram that she was very, very sad that she had to give up her dog because he was aggressive and drinking his own pee and she just it couldn't deal with it anymore. And it was because of her his three previous owners and the abuse he suffered at their hands. I think Lena Dunham and, adopted Howard Hughes in the dog version. Yeah, that's what it basically sounds <laughs> well, like. But the but here's the thing. The no-kill shelter is lashing back and saying, this dog was perfectly fine. We have pictures of the dog cuddling with Lena and her mom on the four visits that we required for her to come visit the dog and see if it was a good fit. 
there i mean we never had any problems with this dog before apparently this woman took her dog to every green room that she ever went to for the first couple of years that it lived with her. There was a photo shoot that she did with the dog and with her co-star at star being like a very strong word for that. Um, Adam drivers, they had a photo shoot together and the dog was in on it. I love animals and I don't believe that there is a bad dog in the world. I believe there are lots and lots of really bad owners, but this really takes the cake. So she wrote a long post explaining that she had given up Lambie in March because of his aggression. And then people sort of followed up on her story and said, um, no. We checked the records for Lambie. Robert Vasquez told Yahoo Celebrity via email. Robert Vasquez being the person responsible for the dog actually going to Lena Dunham in the first place. He was owner surrendered not enough time prior to being adopted by Lena. So we don't know where she got multiple owners that abused the dog from. We don't even have that information. When she adopted the dog from us, it wasn't crazy. Vasquez continued, I have pictures of the dog loving on Lena and her mom, which is weird if the dog was abused, it wouldn't be cuddling with her or be in the bed with her boyfriend in the pages of Vogue. I just feel like at this point, we've established this woman just needs ways to get attention because this is just what is wrong with this lady like this is just her looking for either sympathy online and it blowing up in her face because she's trying to stay relevant after her television show folded is that is that really what this is is that is that absolutely true i mean why else would she drop bombs like she sexually molested her younger sister when she was a like an a toddler. That was in yeah. yeah, that was in her book. I mean, everything that she does is for attention. In fact, the part that really kills me is that she then responds to the no kill shelter and says, It's come to my attention that the staff at the shelter where I adopted Lambie, his name was Lambie. I don't I can't even um have a very different account of his early life and behavioral issues than I do. Yada yada. While I'm sorry to have disappointed them, I can't apologize. Lambie was and is one of the great loves of my my life except she gave him up yep. except that she gave him up this is my favorite bit this is the animal who taught me about loving and letting go i know i'm a lot of fun to place your issues on but i won't let anyone hang their hat on this peg not this time this is a me 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 this dog is disturbed probably because of you and all you can talk about is yourself anyway. it's certainly a little microcosm of the generation in which she belongs which I refuse to admit I'm a part of. I don't I don't know. She she really goes beyond the pale here. Yeah. Anyway, she, this she, really she, got me. In general, Lena Dunham's a, a, a piece of work. She has a long history of saying and doing things, and somehow the press and social media really latch on to her. And for someone who just has a had a mediocre television show on HBO, her attention is way too disproportional for what she's actually done. It and I, don't, I, I think that I don't, she doesn't believe that there is such a thing as bad publicity as well. I'm sure she is reveling in the fact that people hate her. Oh, no, I, I, I believe that part is true. I, I mean, I think it was Ed Sullivan who said, hey, listen, uh, no matter what they say about you in the newspapers, make sure they spell your name right. Yeah. But as far as I know, she, does, does she have, like, any other upcoming projects that we know of? Because, you know, some of the actors from Girls have gone on to do somewhat significant stuff. One of the one of the female protagonists was in the movie Get Out, and Adam Driver is obviously in the Star Wars franchise. So like sure. Adam she... Driver's career is actually picking up even more. Yeah. So what is she doing? She's actually trying to do writing and directing as opposed to necessarily being in front of the camera. Well, that's oh, good. Well. Yeah. That, that, I mean that that's an improvement because uh -huh. she's awful. Mm -hmm. I don't know I, that that is to... an improvement. Though. No, I tried to <laughs> do watch. Do we want to hear from her more? Well, no, because eventually she's just going to make enough enough shit that nobody's going to, you know, pay her to do anything. Here's she open. did she did something in 2010 called Tiny Furniture, <laughs> director, writer, and starring in it, and it was it's an hour and thirty. It looks like it's got 6.2 out of 10 stars on IMDb, and it looks like it's primarily a little indie film with a, f a few actors in it. So I I think that's basically what she's trying to do. She's trying to get behind the camera, but. More power to her, but just stay off social media, lady. Just because I just don't need to hear from her anymore. Don't use your pet as a prop, for the love of God. Anyway, the other thing that I have is a Wired.com story. These days, it makes more sense for Batman to be a villain is the title of this. This came out on the 7th, so yesterday. Basically, this talks about Sean Murphy is writing and illustrating a Batman book called Batman White Knight. And 
he describes it in this way. My main goal was to undo the comic tropes while changing Gotham from a comic book city into a real city. City dealing with everything from Black Lives Matter to the growing wage gap, Murphy says. But rather than write a comic about the wage gap, I gave those ideas to the Joker, who leads a kind of media war against Gotham's elite by winning people over with his potent observations and rhetoric. So yes, you heard that right. The Joker is the star of this, and Batman is the villain. Well, actually, for a second, I was going along with this. Because, yeah, it makes sense for the Joker to peddle a myth like the wage gap. That would be, you know, just kind of a hysterical, out-of-control, non-fact-based assessment of economics. Yeah, that sounds like the Joker. And then and then this guy, you you end the quote with, oh, yeah, uh, Joker's the hero now. Fine, yeah, it, fine. It's, it's totally dumb. I and and also, so it, it goes on to say, in the 1940s, when the Joker was introduced in Batman number one, the idea of having a masked vigilant face-punching foes seem like a good way to fight crime. But in the decades since, society has learned that it's not always the best course of action. And here's another quote from Murphy. It's sexy to think crime can be stopped with a fist, but the real solution is a lot more boring than that. Education, increasing wages, and building trust, Murphy says. The line Batman rides between noble vigilante and overzealous oppressor will always be shifting as our own society changes. So, yes. And my favorite part about all of this is they named it Batman White night yeah for a second there i thought he was going to jump in there and defend anita sarkeesian at vidcon but you know (laughs) that's not well i'd I'd be curious to see if these are some of the same people who talk about you know it's okay to it's okay to uh for captain america to punch nazis or you know people who who are the media is currently accusing of being nazis right i was thinking the exact same thing (laughs) but but you know oh society's moved past vigilante justice yeah someone tell antifa that yeah, right. it, it just seems it, it seems like a, a contradiction. And again, I don't know where the the author stands on the uh, the, uh, the other half of my point there. But I, having not I would read not the be book, surprised. Uh, the book's not out yet. Book's not out till October. Oh, yeah. okay. So I but see, part of me is sympathetic to this idea because look, Batman's been around for over seventy years. Yeah, nineteen forties. Yeah, no, yeah. Uh, so late thirties. Thirty-eight, thirty-nine. I think thirty-nine. Thirty-nine. Okay. Coming up on 80 years. So Batman has basically got, I bet Batman and his universe and his villains have gone through pretty much every interpretation one can come up with. So this new interpretation of putting Batman in a more real world centered universe, you know, makes sense to me to some point. But it, it, obviously it sounds like this author has some kind of political axe to grind, which is his prerogative, which is which is fine. So. I mean, to some extent, I'm curious to see where we go with this, where Batman is the villain, but is it going to actually be good? It's one thing to kind of insert your politics or your worldview into your writing. It's quite another to insert those politics and worldview into an established character with an established canon, or at least an established understanding of behavior, and then it's a complete other to actually make it good. Yeah, I mean, we'll we'll see. I think I have to go back... I see what you're saying, and I think it it could be interesting, but going back to when the writer is saying, it's sexy to think crime can be stopped with a fist, but the real solution is a lot more boring, education, increasing wages, and building trust, yawn. Yes, that that part is really true, because if this is probably the same dude who in high school slept through every dare assembly that was ever put on, right? Like, I can't can't believe that this guy, you know, really thinks this is worth reading in a comic book. Like, I mean, what is it going to be about like joker and riddler are gonna fight over who's going to do the contract to teach preschoolers just to say no to drugs like what how are we gonna do this no we're clearly going to have a court battle over no child left behind oh that's what it okay yeah (laughs) that's i you know i would like to see someone make it redo batman but i'd like to see batman go back to being in the 30s and 40s and and kind of ditch the sci-fi batman look i i because there are like two clear batman universes there's like film noir detective batman and then there's like science fiction batman where where stuff gets really weird and i i want to see a little bit more of the and i don't like the big dc universe i just want to see batman in gotham and it's like that i miss that art deco 40 stuff i'd like to see did you ever read um, frank miller's batman year one i saw the movie adaptation not too long ago because wasn't there like a dc you know how dc does those Uh, animated movies yeah i think there was i'm pretty sure i've seen that i'm pretty sure i saw it at your house that's possible because Kyle may have may have had it. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's, so that's not, about it. That's not yeah. bad. No, I, I would like to see something like that, but yeah. Yawn is right, Tracy. Okay, so this one, I want to talk about this because this has just been 
an obsession of ours lately. Uh, we'll do this real quickly because we've covered it a bunch of times. Hollywood's obsession with franchises is costing studios millions. This is from The Independent in the UK. And the gist of it basically is Hollywood, unsurprising to anyone who hasn't been living under a rock, has been devoting itself to large tentpole franchises for the last, I don't know, five years is a good way of putting it. And it hasn't paid the dividends they, they've expected. And some of the examples are most stark this year. For example, Despicable Me came out last weekend, made $72 million over the weekend, but it was expected to do something like 90 to $85 million, right. uh, way, way below expectations. And then there's this collection of bombs that we have seen, Pirates of the Caribbean, Cars 3, The Mummy. Was Transformers this year a bomb? Oh, hell yeah. Uh, yeah, this is the weakest showing. The latest Transformers has taken in just $102 million over two weekends with further diminishing returns ahead. The last installment managed $245.4 million, down from $342.4 million for Transformers 3 and $402 million from Transformers 2. So the, the trend line is decidedly down. Yeah, it's, yeah considerably. And to be yeah. fair, the quality of the film is considerably down. Yes, yes. And also, of course, we talked about... <laughs> King Arthur, uh, also quoting for the article, also notable is the King Arthur disaster. The film is just is taking just 140.3 million worldwide from a 170 million budget. Baywatch was expected to take 40 million opening weekend, but after some divisive reviews, just took 18.5 million. So it looks like these big tentpole movies might not be paying off the way we expected because last podcast tracy and i did we talked about how the studios are trying to go with these big big movies to justify these ridiculous ticket prices and it seems to be blowing up in their face but i don't know if they have any other model to to go with the article suggests that studios are taking inspiration from big successes like get out split the beguiled and baby driver all critical and commercial successes however i don't know how long that can sustain itself. We've talked about this before, and I think now we're starting to see a data-driven approach on, on this. Which is helpful. But let me ask you this, just as a tangential to that. What about this new movie, Valerian, that's coming out? It's based on a graphic novel. Well, Here's an epic. So, hang on. so it's not, not based on a graphic novel. It's based on a large series of French comics spanning like 40 years. Yeah, called Valerian oh. and Laureline. And it's based on a specific, at least mostly based on a specific story called Valerian and Laureline, The Empire of a Thousand Planets. Uh, but, but it's probably not. Planet. The movie is called City of a Thousand Planets. Oh, I see. Okay. The, the, the source material, the, the one story of the, like Andrew said, is a 40-year <laughs> project. The one, the specific one they're drawing from, probably not directly, is Empire of a Thousand Planets, I think. Well, it looks, to me, it looks really interesting. I don't know how the story's going to go. The story, as far as the trailers that I've seen, the story could go either way. It could be really boring. It could be really great. But the visuals are gorgeous. And this reminds me of Avatar. This reminds me even of Star Wars back in the day these massive vistas here's here's a gigantic film it had to be incredibly expensive to make i don't have the numbers in front of uh, me i've heard 170 million right now dear god personally if, if you're asking me what i think of it it looks really really interesting this might go the way of john carter because i don't know well that's my, my question are, is this yeah. going to pull in the money they're hoping for it's not a franchise film but it is an epic so it's one of those ones that people would say i need to go to the theater to see this on the big screen at least once i don't know anyone who is saying i really want to see that valerian and laureline movie or or what and like no one has i, I personally I mean outside of us yeah i haven't met anyone where there's really? any buzz to see that at all huh well, that's so sad. I, I have a feeling it's going to go the way of John Carter. And I don't it's know that it's going to go the way of John Carter. I mean, people I've talked to have at least been have been very interested in it. If you say, hey, what movies are you looking forward to? It doesn't come up. But if you say, hey, right. what about this one? They're like, oh, yeah, I really want to see that. That's nice because I haven't even heard I really want to see. I hear like, yeah, that kind of looks interesting. I don't know if I'll see that. And for like a 170 million budgeted film, like you want everyone to go see it. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, I, I can't see it doing particularly well. It may I, have a nice opening weekend and then and then vanish. I don't know that it's going to do well enough to justify 170 million. Yeah, at the, at the same for sure. Well, at the same time, though, because it's Luc Besson and the fact that it has a very uh, fifth element feel to it because it's, again, based on French comics. Mm hmm. I think I think you're going to get more support than than you're than you're, I think you're giving it credit for. 
Maybe, but I don't. I'm not aware of a cadre of Luc Besson fans out there who are waiting for his his next film to come. Now, no, granted, but I, but no, but there are there are, there's a cadre of there's a cadre of Fifth Element fans who want there you go who want something else like it. Sure, I just I don't know how. I mean, we'll see. I'll be really curious. We'll find out soon enough. I'm I am cautiously pessimistic about this one. I want but look as far as I'm concerned. I want to cautiously see it. pessimistic. Is that what yeah. you just said? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, that's, that's exactly what I said. And look, if anyone can pull this off, it, it's Luc Besson, truly. Like, as a film, I'm actually looking forward to it. Right. As a successful moneymaker, mm, we'll find out. Yeah, well, I mean, this is, we'll, in general, we'll... this is up your alley. You know, it's it's basically, oh, yeah. it's proto-heavy proto, proto heavy metal. Oh, yeah, no, like, I'm 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 doing my own version of guerrilla marketing for the movie, but, but I don't know if anyone else is buying it. Let's just dive into this Divided States of America. Uh, because this was an interesting, oh, excuse me, hysteria. Has anyone actually read this book? No, so in general, with Howard Chaikin, I'm real hit and miss on his stuff. Like, some of it, he, he's written a couple of good things, like Satellite Sam, which uh -huh. is really interesting to read if you if you want to kind of see what the early days of television were like. Mm. Like, he, he has a lot of really good information in that in that story about that. But then he has stuff like Black Kiss that's utter garbage. I have Black Kiss. Right, but it's not any good. So do I. I don't think I read it. I think I bought it and never read it. It's it's not very good. No? No. I, it, wasn't it banned at one time? Where is uh, I don't know if it was straight up banned. It certainly is fairly controversial. But And, like, Chaykin has written some some other work. Uh, some He's done some Avengers work. I don't think he's done X-Men, but he's definitely done... Uh, found it. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Is that, is so that, yeah, Howard Chaykin. Yeah, is that Black Kiss 1 or 2? Uh, I assume 1. Okay, if, if it doesn't say 2 on the cover, then it's then it's 1. Yeah, no, yeah. That, yeah, I mean, I was interested in this black and white. It looked, it looked sexy. I don't it, even I know mean, what like, it's about. It, 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 like, he definitely has, like, the very, you know, sexy, erotic kind of thing going on, but, like, there is no worthwhile plot to it. Even better. I'm on to this. All right, so I, I I remember buying this kind of on an impulse. I may have got it at a convention for, like, really cheap. I think you did. And I was like, I like the cover. I like the cover a lot. I want to buy this. And then never read it. <laughs> yeah, but All I mean, right. Chaykin's work, it's really hit and miss. Okay. Like said, he's, he's, done, he's done some Marvel work. I've read it. It's not very good. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, I've, I haven't read Black Kiss. I've read Black Kiss 2, and he did, a, he did a Black Kiss Christmas special, which is just kind of bizarre. Howard Chaykin is just real hit and miss. So the fact that he's done something, what I would amount, amount to is just kind of dumb here. I don't care. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So basically the whole controversy is over his book called The Divided States of Hysteria. And the thing that brought this to my attention was actually an article on Comicosity.com by a woman named Veronique Emma Huboy. I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. It's I think it's Hubois. Hubois? Okay. I think that's how it's pronounced, Hubois. Her probably self-written bio on this website says that she is a fiercely queer trans woman from the wilds of Canada, most recently spotted in the Pacific Northwest. Contributor at Comicosity, women write about comics, and London Graphic Novel Network. Consulted on Bitch Planet, published by DC, IDW, in Love is Love with Alejandra Gutierrez. So that's her full little bio there. It's not a bad bio. I, yeah, it's, it's, it's not. And she starts this article by saying, speaking truth to power in the comic book industry is a difficult dance at the best of times. If you speak up and I'm, I'm jumping here. I'm, I'm you're going to have to, cause this oh, is yeah, really long, long and the, oh, the meat of her argument occurs in the first, maybe six paragraphs. And then everything else is just kind of flailing. Yes. So a she says, diarrhea, speak, I think is a better. Term. Yeah. 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 <laughs> If you speak up, if you speak out in the wrong tone at the wrong person, that's it. That's your career. It's a line I try to be careful of because I know in my heart that my potential value to the industry is many times more than any one racist, misogynist, homophobic, or otherwise bigoted cartoonist potentially ending my career before it truly begins in order to ensure there's some kind of consequences for one man among many who are a blight on the industry is just not unfair. It's a bad trade-off. It's also how men like that stay in business. The perceived risk of mutual self-destruction at best and self immolation at worst not my favorite grammar but that's okay sometimes a situation gets so bad that the personal consequences have to take a back seat and image comics choosing to publish a pakistani man wearing a name tag with a racial slur on it lynched and his genitals mutilated as the cover to the divided states of hysteria number four is actually one of is exactly one of those situations now it's important to mention that this is a variant cover of divided states of hysteria number four it is not the main cover she says she 
is personally boycotting Image Comics, won't be buying, reading, reviewing, or tweeting about a single comic published by the company until Eric Stevenson resigns as publisher. Because And, and the meat of our argument is that she wants them to apologize, she wants them to pull the cover, and he has done none of those things, so he's clearly a horrible human being, and therefore she will not have anything to do with Image Comics until he resigns. The ironic part here is that Image is probably one of the most pro-LGBT publishers out there. So, so yes, there is this book with some of these issues. There's also books like Saga that are very pro. Uh, so, anyway, the, the author identifies themselves as trans, right? The, Saga is one of the most trans books out there, which mm-hmm. is also published by Image. Mm-hmm. What got me is I read through this woman's article maybe two or three times to try and find the meat of her argument and what but someone just needs to teach her how to write a thesis statement. Good God. Do you remember in high school <laughs> how you had to write a thesis statement so people understood what in the hoo-ha you are talking about? And then you, you write the introduction, and usually at the end of the second or first paragraph, you have your thesis statement, and then you have your supporting paragraphs, and then you have your conclusion. That's the way we all learned in the public school system is maybe one of the only two things the American public school system got right. So she is Canadian. That might be the problem. Right. Right there. <laughs> <laughs> that could very well be it. But this starts off with the cover is bad. And I remember writing notes like, why is the cover bad? She doesn't really explain it very well. Then it's like this, then something like this leads to all this kind of bad stuff. How do you know that? Then it's like, this guy needs to resign. Why? Like, what do you hope to accomplish? What is what is your goal? And it's just at one point during the during the, the body of this essay, she equates Howard Chaikin with the tactics of Trump and ISIS and tries to equate what's going on in India with this uh, uh, lynchings of Muslims in India with this cover. I have a feeling no one in India is reading this. this uh, and to be fair, I have not read Chaikin's books. I, I want to read them now. Like I'm, I'm actually like I have one right here that I forgot I own. I want to know what this is about because it doesn't strike me that Image released a comic book that is pro-lynching Pakistani men and cutting their nuts off. Like something something tells me it, this is not a like endorsement of the action. I would imagine that Chaikin made this cover to be provocative, to make a point, to create a debate, or to just irritate certain people. And he did. And this idea that they, there, there needs to be some kind of boycott, or Chaikin isn't the proper ambassador, therefore needs to be fired, or his publisher needs to resign. Look, don't buy the book if you don't like it. But don't make these arguments that it, it adds some sort of bad karma to the cultural juju that creates these environments of hate and oppression and blah, 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 and will cause all this awful violence against trans people of color with, in wheelchairs. Make a cogent case, because basically what we have here is a video games cause violence argument, which just swapped out with comic book covers and swapped violence out for trans misogynisticness or whatever word she used in the article. You need to substantiate that. She has no substance. If she doesn't like the content, she finds it vulgar. Fine, right? Fine. Write a review make, about it. Yeah, yeah, make that argument. Make the argument that it's just <clears throat> bad art, but but make to try and make it something more than it is requires extra steps. And you can dismiss her argument with the basic Hitchens-esque axiom that that which is asserted without any evidence can be dismissed without any evidence. So I just I just don't take this argument particularly seriously. I would like to know on a, on a final point what people like her think of works of art like Piss Christ, which pissed off a lot of religious people. I remember and that religious controversy. People made yeah. very similar arguments. To what she's making here i'm curious if they would defend that as art you may not that's fine but you know criticize it as art don't try and make it this this thing that creates violence and hate and it's just there's no evidence of that if there is i want to be made aware of it but she did not offer anything at yeah. all the, the other it thing was that, more oh so the other thing that drove me nuts was the fact that she basically came out and said you know if you are a straight white male you cannot you're basically you're not allowed to talk about these kind of these topics yeah and while i get that hey you need to do it correctly there's a good way to talk about L- lgbt issues or issues of, of people with co- people of color there are right ways and there are wrong ways to just say that hey you as a white person, as a straight white person, can't talk about this, that that doesn't work either. No, I well, didn't realize that I, I have to be a certain color, gender, or sex orientation to talk about human rights. In, right. in, in my philosophy, human rights are universal to humans. 
And regardless aside of all of that, together. setting aside all of that, truthfully, if their worldview is correct and the patriarchy is the overarching system of power in, in the universe, then who do you want talking about your issues? The only person that anyone apparently ever listens to, the straight white male. <laughs> right, the person in charge, apparently, of the right. all-knowing, all-seeing, all-powerful, all-evil, destructive, <laughs> the patriarchy. Dun, dun, dun. I just... <laughs> Anyway, so I also caveat that with this is our view. If someone who fits, you know, a, if a Pakistani trans man looks at that cover and is offended, I can't tell him not to be offended. But this particular argument from this particular trans woman, I think, is a little I mean, it, it goes off the rails within about three or four paragraphs. Well, right. So. The point is not that is that not that an argument can't be made is that an argument wasn't made. It's difficult to make the argument. This is not offensive. I believe firmly the point was to be offensive and provocative yes. right that's the point and i and i'm okay with that because i have always said that you know if you are accidentally provocative you're an idiot you well, know, i was being gonna say I was a you in and of yourself were just offensive, so yeah, there's always that. <laughs> and, and you know, I checked over at Bleeding Cool because they usually follow these cover controversies. And Chaikin basically, I think, makes a fairly cogent point that just because you see the image, and I'm trying to find the quote here, just because there is this image is not an endorsement of the act. Quite mm -hmm. the contrary. The the very depiction of this image strikes home the injustice and horribleness of this behavior. I believe that was his point from the start. And the author over at Bleeding Cool just would not even see it. So g good up on, on Chaikin defending what he is, what he's put out there, because Chaikin is not an alt-right reactionary conservative. He seems to be your standard liberal Democrat. And the book appears to be a fairly vociferous critique of American society. So well, it's I, in the title, I, right? <laughs> yeah. So having not read it, I don't know. I, I, I wanted to try when you guys talked about this and brought it up. I hadn't gotten the chance to run out and grab a couple issues just to figure out what the heck this is about. Because what amazed me about all the discussions about this particular cover was that the content of the book was never talked about. The actual message and motifs and themes and characters and all that kind of stuff was never talked about. I am basically ignorant on the content of the book, but the the nature of the argument made is on its face unconvincing in it mm -hmm. in totality. Yeah, yeah like I said, okay. an argument could be made, but an argument was not made. Just to put one last fine point on it, wasn't made by multiple people. That's what amazed me. I went looking for other opinions on this, and no one I've seen has been able to put together a fairly cogent argument about it, other than I see this. I don't like it. Make it go away. And that's just, we're Wrong. not, we're not, we're not yeah. doing that. We're not doing that. Okay. On that note. Uh, so the last thing we've got this week is obviously the you know, unfortunate passing of Joan Lee, wife of Stan Lee. She passed at 93 years old. And the two of them have actually been together for 70 years. That is bomb diggity. That, that is, is really that is something. amazing. So depending on the version of history you uh, subscribe to with regard, <laughs> well, no, so with regards to the origins of the Marvel age of comics, the, the 1960s. Well, I just like the way you, I just like the way you started that. It, it, well, it really does because no, I know there's a lot a of controversy way. between, you know, who really was responsible for creating the Fantastic Four and a lot of Marvel characters. But in several different tellings of the story, Stan Lee was basically at the breaking point and said, that's it, I'm done, I'm quitting. And Joan came up and said, all right, before you quit, write one comic book you want to read that you that you want to, and that was Fantastic Four, mm. and then that's what kickstarted everything. Because before that, they were basically just doing Monster a Month and romance comics. Mm. So in large part, you know, Joan was a, a significant driving force behind Stan Lee, who in turn was obviously a driving force behind Marvel Comics for a long time. Just having hit my my one year wedding anniversary, like being together for seventy years is is one hell of a feat. Yeah. Yeah. So condolences. Yeah. And speaking of Stanley moving on to Spider-Man Homecoming Spider-Man here being, comes uh, Spider-Man being one of Stanley's uh, probably the one of the things he's most proud of having created yeah certainly one of his most iconic creations I think yeah certainly one of the most iconic and and typically one of the ones he I think personally most closely associates with yeah I would I would think so too so we have Spider-Man Homecoming so this is now this is the sixth Spider-Man film we have had third, fran third, third franchise third franchise sixth film this is the first one that is the kind of the joint operation between sony and marvel studios and it stars tom holland and michael keaton directed by john watts and the writers are jonathan goldstein and j 
John Francis daily. I know that this is a not a very popular opinion, but I don't like Michael Keaton. I never like him. I always think, oh, Michael Keaton. And then I go in and I watch his performance and I'm let down. There's a reason why that's not a popular opinion, because it's wrong. Yeah, I was going to say, well, now we're going to have to drop Tracy from the call and do not going to continue. <laughs> yeah. Remember that hashtag? Hashtag Tracy's wrong. Let's bring that one back because she's, <laughs> she's really wrong right now. Because I really thought Michael Keaton, probably the only redeemable factor from uh, of this film. I don't know that I would say the only redeemable quality. So overall, I enjoyed the film. I'd say maybe like a four out of five because I think it was well done. Not really. I'm, I really don't connect with the character of Spider-Man. I was talking with Becky about this. I think it's because having come into in, into reading comics in my early 20s, I'm kind of past the point to which, you know, Spider-Man's a relatable character to me. Mm-hmm. So I just, you know, like I've, I've seen, I saw the original, for, the original three Spider-Man films and then I saw Amazing Spider-Man 2. I didn't see the first Amazing Spider-Man, but I just like, oh yeah, yeah Spider-Man movie. Okay. Was, it wasn't mm-hmm. badly done, but uh, didn't blow blow me away either i would say that i do connect with spider-man a little bit more because i was he was the first character that got me into comics so i walked out of this trying to this did not lift me up and blow me away like for instance wonder woman did but when i left the theater i was talking about it and thinking about it and processing it and i got the same tension from this movie that i got from the early spider-man book so when he's actually still a teenager this feeling as though you're a little too young for all the responsibility on your shoulders and that you constantly have to prove that you're up to the task to yourself as well. Seeing adults as authority figures and yet being stronger than they are and having more abilities than they do and not really knowing how to reconcile that. I got all of that from this film and that's kind of what I've come to expect from a Spider-Man story and I haven't gotten that from either of the other two franchises. So that really resonated with me. Other than that, the climax was good. There were a lot of mini climaxes that didn't feel as though they took away from that main climax which was which was really well well done and i for the most part really liked the casting aunt may i'm not really sure why tony stark thinks aunt may is that hot because this is another thing where tracy's just wrong because marissa tomei is a goddess that's why no i'm actually with tracy on this one i was kind of i liked i liked i liked her more in civil war than i did in this one yeah, I think it was the glasses that threw me off. I was looking at it going, I remember her being really hot. Did they I, I get a new actress? I don't know. I'd say no. the glasses. I would say the costuming in general. No, they tried to kind of dull her down, but I still think she's gorgeous. I think I, I really like Marissa Tomei. You should see her in The Wrestler, where she plays like a washed up stripper. It is fantastic. I mean, overall, I, I, I don't dislike Tomei, but... In this particular case, I was like, wow, I, I don't, she's not that hot here. But anyway, um, other than that, I mean, it was really good. I know there was a little bit of controversy over MJ's casting as a woman of color, but eh, I thought she did an okay job. I think my, my beef with that was that they didn't call her MJ until the end, and they, she was Michelle. I mean, Andrew, I don't, you know, I don't really read Spider-Man comics. Is Mary Jane's real name Michelle? No. no. So yeah, that was probably my only real beef with it. It's like, why don't you just use her name? Yeah. Yeah. Tracy, I would agree with you in general. I think that this is a fairly faithful, at least in concept, adaptation of Spider-Man. It kind of in the way you described it and being the kid who's in over his head and very much played up the with great power comes great responsibility concept that was, that was real heavy in the early days of Spider-Man, I think is mm-hmm. a little bit lost nowadays. But yeah, I just, it doesn't really, like, like I said, it was Solid well B+. done. It was well done. It just didn't click for me. Yeah dude yeah so for me i was so bored watching this movie that this one i walked out of the theater with the feeling maybe this is it maybe this is the moment we've had have hit peak superhero because nothing about this film felt interesting unique or exciting in the least and after what I thought was the total disaster of Wonder Woman, even though it made a bunch of money. I was like, where where can we go from here? And then we get what I, I saw as Marvel's first kind of thud. Not not a bomb, not a not a dud or anything like that, but it just kind of it stuck the landing in a pile of dust and just went boom. Because I really I liked the supporting cast. I love Michael Keaton. I like Marissa Tomei and I, and I Robert Downey Jr. gets however tens of millions of dollars for what appeared to be three weeks worth of work. So uh, good on him. But everything else just didn't resonate at all for me. I didn't like the young cast, no, no, especially the friend who played Ned, the kid who played Ned mm-hmm. and that character Ned. I did not want him on screen ever. Every time he appeared and spoke, I believe I wore out 
the chewing surfaces of my teeth. I could not stand watching him. And as far as the story is concerned, it was pedestrian. I was amazed they made Vulture work. That was the one thing that I was impressed with. Like Vulture, like, yeah. oh, okay, this this kind of this works. And I was really surprised they they did that. But past that, I couldn't I couldn't latch on to this film at all. It felt super long. It didn't strike me as visually interesting. I didn't really find it particularly funny. There are moments where maybe it should have been compelling, like the whole Staten Island Ferry thing, which, by the way, I don't think they allow cars on the Staten Island Ferry anymore. At least they didn't when I lived there. Maybe that changed, but they don't. It, I mean, I just couldn't. I walked out tr thinking, where am I going to eat next? Because I skipped dinner to see this early. That was really I, just, I was completely unimpressed with this one. And I will probably forget it very soon. I mean, I think you're you're wrong in terms of as this is where this is like Marvel's first dud. I think actually this is going to do better than probably the last couple of Marvel films. And I think in terms of in terms of content or in terms of box office, because they'll probably do pretty well in box office. I think it'll do better, definitely in box office. I think in terms of fan reaction, I think it's going to do better than probably the last. I think it's going to do better than the last Guardians of the Galaxy. Definitely. Mm. I don't. I don't. We had think... a really responsive theater. People loved it. I mean, they were laughing at, at points, groaning at points. I gasped. I'm also afraid of heights. So um, looking down the elevator in the Washington Monument, I was ah, freaked out. It, it, it was, I mean, I, I've had a good, again, I do believe you're right, dude. It felt very long. I thought, huh, wow, it's late now as soon as I got out. And I think our mm -hmm. showing was at seven. There were probably maybe six trailers in front of it, maybe seven trailers in front of it. And we left five minutes before the next showing, which was at 10 o'clock. Yeah, we were out. We Ours was 730 and we were walking out after 10. And I was like, oh, God, I hope Outback is still open. <laughs> <laughs> was it was it yes on a, i was gonna say it. on a friday they're probably open pretty late got my got my blue moon onion yeah but so yeah, what did you guys think of the well first of all let's talk about the vulture really quickly because i i agree with you it does work so i don't like michael i thought michael keaton himself was pretty boring in this but first of all this whole idea that someone gets pissed off at the government for taking over their job and being overextended which i thought was a fairly compelling scene if you've ever you know worked at a lower class sort of blue collar job then you you understand his frustration and then but then turning it having a guy that's smart enough to turn all the this alien tech into high powered weapons i mean was that believable well you know what within the, the marvel about, universe well, sure yes no i'll agree with andrew that yeah that was something i just granted didn't really give much thought to it but i like the beginning because here he is this is a, a blue-collar small business guy got a contract with the government and all of a sudden the feds come in cancel out his contract no compensation so i thought I was like this is a really cool libertarian beginning to a movie because here's someone there's basically a takings without any due process i'm like yeah that's you know i was kind of on the vulture side but then his motivation throughout the film seems to disappear he keeps going oh, I, I have to keep doing this you know what my situation is we never see what that situation is is his wife just spending all his money is he is he paying the medical bills for someone no he has this lavish house in the suburbs of what i assume is long island and and that's why and that's what he needs to keep going well, at the beginning they do mention that he's overextended as far as he had to buy a couple of extra trucks and he had some guys on the payroll but that's not justified by the length of time or the effort or the high quality that he's putting no. in that's standard for most businesses. They will, they don't see profit until the end of their project. What they usually do is they buy the trucks and they buy the labor. The labor usually sees the money first and mm -hmm. the profit comes at the end. So he's, so he's operating at a loss to start. That's, I believe, fairly standard for most small businesses or contractors. Well, I wasn't sure if that extension of credit was the thing that he was trying to pay off. I think it was at the beginning with that first set of tools and and weapons that he created but why do you eight years later in this massive house driving an audi why do you what is it that's that is motivating i'm agreeing well, it, with you that the it, motivation it's seems trying, lacking. it's trying to keep up that lifestyle for his family it, that, that's the point he's doing it for his family right that's what okay. but that's the only thing i can come up with is his family and it's like well I, I part of me is like we all do stuff for our family very few of us resort to intergalactic arms dealers that, like that's <laughs> I mean, I would like, for instance, I would have liked, preferred to see him like make tools out of this alien tech, and the government come down and quash him or destroy his business or something where he had a grievance that would have at least made the ex the extent at which he went. Like he has a gun in his car. He just happens to have that for his daughter's dates. He just brings yeah. he brings that gun around. And I may have met guys who've done that. Yeah, I guess, but. <laughs> 
That was the one thing where I was like, I, I, I loved Keaton in it, but I was kind of like... That was actually a fun twist, though, when he walks up to the door and he knocks on it. My first thought is, oh, fuck, this guy figured out who his girlfriend is and killed the whole family or has them tied up somewhere. And then he's, no, he's the dad. And I was like, oh, I thought that did was not see cool. that coming. I thought that was pretty cool. But what I thought also was really funny is Michael Keaton figures out he's Spider-Man in five minutes from the front scene of a car. No one else has figured this out. Right. That part made me laugh. My, I was like, I mean, is anyone catching this? Am I the only one who caught this? No, I mean, my, like, Michael Keaton, Tracy's opinion aside, Michael Keaton was great in this. Mm-hmm. And, and he's consistently shown himself to be be very strong. I mean, you know, RoboCop, was it about two years ago? It was not a good movie, Mm-mm. but Michael Keaton was really good in it. Yeah, RoboCop could have been three, four years ago. It's been a while. I don't, I think, yeah, I don't, I remember Tracy and I talked about it and we disagreed significantly, but I don't remember beyond that. Yeah, I think it was about three years ago. Holy shit. Yeah, I mean, th- so there were actually there were also a lot Three of years. 2018. Sorry. There were a lot of nice little touches in this just for like comic book fans like Damage Control. Mm-hmm. There was a Damage Control comic for a while and basically it's a it's a company in New York that just goes around and repairs damage after superhero fights. Like that's their, like that, that. that's their business model. And I'm like, you know, in the Marvel Universe, that's not a terrible business model. No, not at all. Actually, at one point, Marvel was looking at developing that as a sitcom, Damage Control. I don't know kind of where it kind of stopped development, but given the failure of DC's Powerless that's definitely not going to happen now because that failed. Like, yeah. That failed miserably. So uh, there, there was that. The opening, the opening title was basically the, the Spider-Man theme song. Mm-hmm. That was that was funny. Although to be fair, the the um, the score bugged me some because yeah, it, yeah, it was it, it was strange. Well, it was basically like, hey, look, it's a Marvel Studios film. Like it just it they tried really hard to make you think, hey, this isn't Sony, this is Marvel Studios. Right. So like the Avengers theme was in there a bunch. It was just yeah, it was it was a little a little heavy handed there. It was like okay i get it i get it this is marvel studios now i'm curious as far as the comic books this is a question for andrew the peter parker character was he always a brainy nerd because donnell brought up a, an interesting point that i hadn't thought about is he's this in this version he's this brainy nerd but he is not a freelance photographer for a newspaper and what i never realized was if he is this smart and this talented what the hell is he doing as a freelance photographer for a a newspaper that's one thing I, I and has he gotten progressively more intelligent the peter parker character more intelligent over the years or is this he's always been a brainy nerd that just decides he wants to be a low-income freelance photographer for a failing newspaper yes he's always been a brainy nerd but it has gotten more enhan- the enhanced of, over the yeah. years but i think you know the problem is a he's a teenager so like his ability to you know invent things as a teenager is not really there nor is his business sense so any anything he does come up with he has no idea of what to do with it right obviously the, the photographer thing starting off in the 19- 1960s so you know newspapers weren't failing at that point at least not 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 like they are now not like they're not the, the decline had already started sure but not the, like they yeah now. yeah the decline already started but yeah not like that not at all like they had now but with the newspaper thing right basically it was you know they're looking for hey we want pictures of spider-man and suddenly peter realizes hey this is something i do definitely can deliver because i'm fucking spider-man so th- that's where it comes from he, he's, he's not, not fucking spider-man he actually is spider-man though. Well, he might be doing that too yeah that was about to say that's <laughs> still grammatically correct right both ways so it, it was a way he knew he could get money and okay. in, in this in this spider-man he's a little less on the poor side mm-hmm. like in, in in the comics and in in the other two franchises you know he's a little bit more low income so he's looking for a way to supplement aunt may and help pay the bills and things so what I remember from the first franchise in the television show, which is most of my contact with Spider-Man, he wasn't a, like a super genius that he appears to be in certain other versions. He was always like a nerd, but not this kind of hyper inventor that can produce all these things. And I was that always uh, that never struck me until someone brought it up, and I was like, yeah, that just seems like a contradiction, or it just doesn't. Well, in the first flow. movie franchise, in the first movie franchise, he's part of his spider abilities is his webbing in his wrist. But right. in the comics that I read when I first was introduced to to comic books in general was that he did invent that. It was an a, it was the the pack on his wrist and he would do he would hit the button. That's where the the Spider Man right. shape came from. 
Um, yeah. So, so I, I mean, he, he did invent stuff. I just, I think it was more, this was a viable option for people back in the day, kind of like delivering papers for a high school kid taking pictures, especially taking pictures of yourself was easy. It was a form of income. And the books I read, he worked his way through high school, through college, then eventually got married, then eventually had kids and then sort of splintered off into multiple Spider-Man's Spider-Men. So it makes sense for someone who's trying to hold down full-time studenthood to also have a very flexible job. Yeah, okay. I, I was going to say, yeah, you know, in the original comics, yeah, the, the webbing wasn't biological. It was web shooters. So he invented the web shooters. He invented, he created the formula for the for the webs. So there's some of that in there, but not certainly not quite And he quite didn't to get his extent. suit from Tony, right? He made his own suit, right? He did, although... I think this suit is kind of an homage to the Civil War comic where yeah. he has the Iron Spider suit. Gotcha. Although I kind of miss the look of the Iron Iron Spider with the gold, the 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 red and gold. Yeah. And like the oh ex- yeah, that was a the, nice one. The extra the extra arm, so he did more spidery things. Was it one scene I did love was him inside the damage control like bunker or like he, <laughs> so he he does all this different shit and they're like all right what time like how you know how long have I been here thirty seven minutes what. <laughs> And then he says, no, I've got to get out. And given that Ned is like getting up and ready in the morning, it still takes him just as long to try to hack his way out of that as it would have been to wait for the time lock to finish. Yeah. At least that's how how he also found a a new and creative use for the graphing calculator. Yeah, that one I did notice. I was like, geez, that's that's what got me. It's like, okay, it's way better than the Tetris we used to play. Yeah, that's why I was watching going, this kid better not go into the newspaper industry. That's just a waste of talent. Yeah, overall it was good, and I loved his his moments at the end in Avengers, not Avengers Tower, but in their new complex up in upstate New York, turning down the option to belong to the Avengers, deciding to go back and be a neighborhood Spider-Man. I like that. I thought it was sweet. It was a good ending. I also love that Tony Stark was like, yeah, of course, kid, there's no one out there, and then he's got to propose to Pepper Potts quickly to get the reporters off his back. That was funny. I laughed. Uh, John Favreau's been holding the ring since 2008. <laughs> That cracked me up, too. Uh, good times. I'm trying to remember. There was one joke that got me to laugh. I can't remember what it was. Oh, yes. Was it, was it Ned it looking was. at porn? Because yes. that was pretty good. That was funny because I saw that coming a mile away. Because, like, she's like, comes in there and goes, what are you doing? And I immediately thought of Cyril from Archer going, you know, jacking it. Right. Like, I was, I saw right. this and we went looking at porn. I was like, oh, okay, good call. No, what I really enjoyed was when he jumps on Flash's car and he does the Batman voice. Yes. I thought that, that was, was funny. That was. I, that was really funny. Other than that, I can't really think of anything that I that got me. But I did. Yep. I need a car. I, I like when he tried using the interrogation mode because that was also making fun of the Batman voice. And after a while, right. I was like, it just, uh, just, just turn it off. Donald Glover's, yeah, I, Donald Glover's like, you, you really need to work on this part of the job. Yeah. Yeah. I, well, I was isn't wondering... Donald Glover cast in an upcoming, isn't he cast in an upcoming movie for Marvel? Not just like a, ba- a little bad guy on the side. I believe he's an actual oh, a character. Let's, let's. I don't think so. He, no, you might be thinking of him in the upcoming Han Solo movie. Oh, I might be. I might, might be. be still Marvel, of, but not the same. Or no, I mean, sorry, Disney. still Disney. Still Disney, but yeah, still he's cool. Lando. Cal- yes, it's still corporate overlords. He's yes. Lando in the, in the uh, Star Wars movie. But I was actually going to ask a question about the Donald Glover character. Is he? Is that a franchise character, or is that just someone they added for this movie? I don't this- know. Okay, I was I was just curious because I was like, they named him, and I was like, is he going to come back? Because it'd be a good idea to bring him back. I mean, he's yeah, good. He is good. He's really really good. Yeah, that's that's, that's one I don't know. I did like the quib by Hannibal Burris about Captain America. He's like, I think this guy's a war criminal now, but you gotta watch it. <laughs> that was hysterical. I thought that was pretty good. But other than that, also, yeah. that final scene was pretty funny because I actually got up, went to the bathroom, and then came back for it because I it, had, it was a long movie. We'll put it that way. And that was quite amusing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We basically got trolled by Patience. Chris Evans. Yes, yeah. We as Marvel fans got trolled by Chris Evans. Oh, at the very the 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 final the, the Easter egg. The second the second Easter egg. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, yeah, they're really running out of ideas because the first Easter egg was stupid. Was was like Michael Keaton. Like, yes, I, I knew the kid. You think he'd be alive? And I was, I know, okay. I, I think I think that's teasing Sony doing a Sinister Six film. Okay. Is that what you think that is? Yeah, well, so so they had Sony had talked about doing a Sinister Six film after. Explain what the Sinister Six is. Sinister real quick, Six, is, I have no idea. Sinister Six is a group of six Spider-Man villains, basically like a supervillain team that go after Spider-Man. And so at the end of Amazing Spider-Man Two, 
there was all the different like suits and crap that we saw, like mm-hmm. the the rhino suit, and you actually did see a vulture suit in the in there. So Sony's been talking about doing a Sinister Six film since then, and I think and the the guy that Michael Keaton's talking to is a character named Scorpion, who's, mm-hmm. who has been a member of the Sinister Six. So I think I think that's where they're going with that. So I, I feel like that's actually like a that was a Sony a Sony thing. Gotcha. Ah, okay. I knew I I recognized Scorpion, and then I, I but I didn't put together the Sinister Six element. Yeah, but no, I, I I didn't recognize Scorpion. And I was just kind of like, what are they teasing? Because this is way too subtle for me, or it's stupid. Which is which ma- makes me feel a little bit better because that means we get more Michael Keaton. Hopefully, so I'm good. Yeah, I'm good with that. I'm I mean, really yeah, good with I, I I did appreciate the fact that at the end, like you know, because Marvel always puts in all the Easter eggs, and you get to the last one, and Chris, and basically it's Captain America saying, <laughs> "Got you, good fucker." Yeah, <laughs> that actually amused me quite a bit. So, right, any final thoughts? It no. was fun. It was fun. I was. I'm glad that I went. It's definitely a solid B plus movie, worth worth going to see. But you know, not not their best work. Yeah. All right. So let's see, Tracy. What have you been into? Oh Lord, I watched Glow for last week's episode. So that was a pretty interesting show. I and dude, that. I heard, yeah, you said I got that text at like one in the morning. I was already asleep. Sorry. Yeah, I figured. Um. Honestly, I I've been pretty busy this week and have been getting home at like nine o'clock at night every night. So I haven't been doing that much media lately. Dude. Well, I finished Glow because I can only watch those kinds of shows in chunks because Tracy likes really boring ass TV. Like, bore your balls off (laughs) chemically castrating television shows. Yes, that's what I like. You age age rapidly as the show slows down. You know know it's possible she's doing that just to fuck with you, right? Yes. No, that's what (laughs) I, I... it hit me right around episode seven or eight where I was like, I think Tracy's trolling me <laughs> because I'm watching this going, why in the name of Richard Dawkins hair would she think that I'd like this show? What? Like either either Tracy does not know me in the least or she hates my guts because she is just inflicting this terrible TV show. And I will admit, after episode six, it actually found a plot and got interesting and stuff happened and they dealt with wrestling and that was better. But talk about just a show that had no payoff. I mean, just just none. But now what I want to do is watch the documentary, which is also on Netflix. I'm far more interested in the documentary and what actually happened than this than this overhyped, overly long snooze fest of just women arguing with each other and then the occasional plot. That's, I'm, just, I'm just done with that. Uh, no, right? This week, I have been more obsessed with video games. I modded Total War Warhammer, and uh, that turned out to be a bad idea because I, <laughs> I modded it thinking I was nerfing some of the Norsican tribes, and it turned out to amp them up. Whoops. Because it was the mod was called Uncivilized North, and it broke the tribes from two tribes to five. And I thought, okay, so that makes they give they have smaller territory, so be smaller armies. Because in the base game, a flood of armies show up from the two tribes, and you deal with you know four stacks, you know four armies from each tribe. So you got eight of them, and they're more dangerous than Archaon the Ever Chosen, right? Who's supposed to be the main boss of the game? They're they're awful. So breaking them into five, I thought would make it more difficult. No, now each tribe sends four stacks so you pretty much almost like you know triple the number of stacks you're dealing with and it's like well, this is crap the only advantage is that they're all crap armies they're all like basic tier one armies. so you slaughter them when you finally catch them so that that turned into a mess but shadow of war is coming out soon so steam had a sale on shadow of mordor so yep. i got it for four bucks nice and i've just just before you moved out you you play the crap out of that on my xbox yo game is you still have it it's sweet yes i do super the game is it's once you have the learning curve the game's easy i haven't died once yet because you could just hack these orcs to pieces but i just don't get tired of the ways you mutilate and dismember mostly beheading i don't think they really you really dismember the orcs in this game. It's uncharacteristically brutal for a Lord of the Rings game or for just Lord of the Rings in general. Yeah. But I appreciate that to like no end. Well, it's somewhere, so, it's somewhere between like Lord of the Rings meets Assassin's Creed. Yeah. It's, it's you take the Assassin's Creed and Batman style stuff, slap Lord of the Rings on it, and then just amp up the dismemberment and just the brutality. Because, you know, Batman was like, you beat him up and, and you knock him out or Assassin's Creed, you come up behind him and go... Right, or your little slashy sword. This is like you 
you trip them, you take their legs out, they fly in the air, and then you cut their head off in midair, and the head goes flying, or you come up behind them with, like, a broken sword that's your dagger, and you just, like, stab them repeatedly in the temple in the top of the head, and then slice their bellies, and you just make this awful sound. It's brutal. It's not a kid-friendly Lord of the Rings game, but it's a lot of fun, so I'm getting kind of amped up for for uh, Shadow of War, which, by the way, has a terrible plot, but just it's a lot of fun to play. And that's that's really about it. Nice. So I finally got out of shift work after, I think... Four and a half or five weeks. I don't. I I lost track. You were out for like three episodes. I can tell you, I worked 101 hours of overtime in one pay period. That's badass. Yeah, that that literally the overtime was double Wait. double my base pay. God damn! Wow. 101 hours of overtime. Well, you do have a kid on the way, so. I do. So a lot of my time has been spent listening to listening to either podcasts or audiobooks while doing shit. Get ready for the kid. Uh, I've done seven loads of laundry in the last three days. Like uh, the the first the first day I had off, I basically went and tightened all of the baby furniture because so Becky's got really bad carpal tunnel from the pregnancy. So she put everything together a couple weeks ago and then uh, was like, "Hey, you probably should tighten this." And like I went up and like I kind of sh- shook it. I'm like, "Oh, that's not that bad." And then I start tightening and I'm getting like full turns on the screws. Yeah. Oh. And I was like, oh, and then I go back and like shake it after I'm done. I'm like, oh, oh yeah, that's a lot more sturdy. Like it wasn't, it wasn't bad before, but this no, this is a lot more stable. Uh, we also set up the baby camera, which I've gotten some great pictures of the cat from. <laughs> <laughs> Like there was one, there's one with a night vision on where the cat is literally just sitting there staring at the camera. <laughs> and of course, since it's night vision, her eyes are glowing. Right. Well, she's pretty evil as it is. Yeah. And then it probably makes some kind of like a really high pitched hum or something. No, it's it's real quiet actually. Uh, it's it's a Nest Cam, so it's like a, I mean, it's it's just a little USB powered camera. Oh, I see. Uh, and then there's another one. She was the first one to go climbing into the crib, and of you know, she like she wanders around the crib a little bit, and then goes up and literally just like gets up right in front of the camera and looks at it for a minute, and then walks away. It's like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I know you're watching. What? So. <laughs> Yeah, I, fi- I finally got back to doing some some pleasure reading too. So I started reading, or I went back to reading uh, the book on the Federal Reserve that I've been working on before shift work. And uh, the last thing I'm probably I'm looking forward to picking up a couple of Netflix uh, shows. The Castlevania anime came out yesterday, mm-hmm. so I definitely yeah, want to check that out. I've, I've I've heard some good things about it. Um, a couple of people I know are like, "This is one of the most bloody things I've seen in a long time." Like that that sounds good. It's Dracula. Yeah, yeah let's do that. Yeah. And then there's something else that came out on Netflix that I have I hadn't caught up on. So I can't remember what it is off the top of my head now, but yeah, that's where I'm going. Nice. So, all right, folks, if you like what we do, make sure you head on over to thereforegeek.com and check out our blog posts and our podcasts. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and you can find this podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, and Stitcher. So once again, I'm Andrew. I'm Tracy. I'm Duder. And you've been listening to Therefore I Geek.